Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Dishes and Dimes, brought to you by BasketballNews.com. My name is Iman, and I was joined by Sidra for this episode that we're unlocking and unleashing on everyone. It's one that we've had a lot of people ask about. And so I'm really excited to hear what you guys think. Really excited to know if this is content you guys are interested in moving forward as well. If it is, please let me know so we can continue to provide this. But before we get into the episode, I wanted to talk about something that's very important. The very lovely, very kind, and very generous Sidra has recognized the impact and effect that COVID has had on our communities and has started a fundraiser to try and help. The fundraiser is specifically for food banks in Toronto and in Peel region. And it's received a lot of support already. I am so like pleased to say this, just looking at her tweets and, and seeing the response that it's gotten. This community that we have built online on Raptors Twitter is so incredibly supportive and filled with such lovely, generous and kind souls. So thank you everybody for your support. And if anyone listening has the ability to donate, we ask that you do. I will provide all of the information in the show notes below. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who has already and to ask anybody if they have yet to see it to please, if they have the ability to donate it and let's try to come together and and help those that are most marginalized in our city and in our community. Uh, So yeah, Um, that was it for me. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dishes and Dimes. My name is Iman, and I am joined by the very funny, the very lovely uh, co-host of Dishes and Dimes, Sidra. Sidra, what's up? Lovely. <laughs> I've never been called lovely before. Lovely, lovely. You never. What? what I'll take it. Never been called lovely before. I've never been called lovely. That is the saddest thing. Do you want to just not talk about what we want to talk about and just talk about that for the entirety of the time? <laughs> I think I just need a sesh to talk. Like. <laughs> uh, so we have like a, a very special episode. This is one that I've been working on or wanting to do, I should say, for a while now. For so for long. For so long, because it like it marries. The two things that I uh, obsess over, uh, which are basketball podcasts and true crime podcasts, <laughs> I'm like listening to one or the other uh, anytime you see me with headphones on. Um, so yeah, so like I'm, I don't know, I'm really excited to do this one. And um, I teased it a little bit on my Instagram. We are going to be talking about Bison Daily today. And so, Sidra, I'm going to ask you, do you know who Bison Daily is? Do you know anything about his story? All I know is that he, like, played for the Bulls mm-hmm. before I was born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's about it. He did not maybe play not for the Bulls before I was born. born. I'll say that. Like, maybe when I was, like, three or something? <laughs> yeah, in 97, four. I don't even know what year. Well, maybe it was when I was five. It was when you that's were four. I you came literally to are Canada. not getting the right year. We're the same age, so I know that's that it the year was when I four, immigrated. Not, three, not five, before <laughs> um, the year you came to Canada. Nice. Okay, so that's yeah. when you won a championship. Yeah. So, uh, in all honesty, like I had no idea who Bison Daly 
was. Like, it was so weird because I was listening to a podcast, a true crime podcast, as I want to do, and they were talking about Bison Daily. And granted, these are not, like, it's not a basketball podcast. I don't really know much about the basketball end. They were talking about, like, calling him a star and all type. Like, they were just, it, I, and I was like, who is he? Like, how, I contain a lot of useless information in my head. And part of that is just, like, names and unnecessary facts that are never going to serve me right unless I play Jeopardy like that's kind of what I contained in my head so I was so surprised that I'd never even I was not familiar with who he was at all um and so I, wait so he won a, a championship he did win Bulls. a championship with okay. the Bulls yeah yeah he was on the 97 Bulls team um he was only and I talk about this for a little bit he was only on the Bulls in the regular season for like nine games he only played nine games with them that regular season um, but ended up oh being gosh. like a uh, an important part of their title run. Um, but yeah, so so I was not familiar with Bison Daly. I looked up pictures of him and I, I recognized his face, but I was not familiar with his story at all. It wasn't until I heard him on the Shoe Crime Pod and I thought, well, hello, I want to talk about him on on our pod. And so I did some some of my googs. I did some googling. Some goods. Some goods. And yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Bison Daly, who was a former NBA player, as we've already kind of hinted at. I'm sure there are lots of people who are going to be familiar with the story. As soon as I teased it on Instagram, I got like lots of messages being like, oh, I'm excited for this story. Um, and like, you know, a lot of people talking about how um, about his I'm not going to ruin anything. Well, let's just get into it. OK, we're just going to get into it. I think I've talked long enough. So, Bison Dele was selected with the 10th overall pick to the Orlando Magic in the 1991 draft from the University of Arizona by way of the University of Maryland. On what Bison would call one of the worst days of his life, draft day. What? Yeah. Yeah. Or, oh my god, I'm like, actually, I know nothing and I'm already hooked by is that. There, like, is there music that we can put in on the background? Uh, but like, <laughs> before we get into his NBA career, I want to start from the beginning. Uh, and I want to get to know, you know, Bison Daly, just a little bit, and his family. So he was actually born Brian Carson Williams on April 6th, my mom's birthday, shout out to you mom, on 1969 in Fresno, California to his parents, Mother Patricia Phillips and his father, Eugene, who went by Gino uh, Williams Jr. And he also had an older brother named Kevin who was two and a half years his senior. So um, Brian Carson Williams, so Brian Williams uh, later changed his name to Bison Dele to honor his Native American and his African American heritage. So for the remainder Aww. of this podcast, I'm going to refer to him as Bison Dele, his chosen name. Uh, so a little bit about the Williamses, his father's um, side. Music was in their blood. So Gino, his dad, was a gifted soul singer. And Bison's grandparents, Eugene Sr., was a pianist. And his grandmother, Leoncia, sang in a choir. And in 1970, um, Gino, his dad, joined a, a famous musical group called the Platters. He was part of, like, the second generation of the Platters, which is, like, this popular jazz music group. Um, and that same year, actually, his parents split up. So when he was only one years old and, and Kevin was three, their parents split, which is really hard on them, which is really hard on, on Bison and, and Kevin there because they were, they were really, yeah, like, sensitive guys. They're really similar in a lot of ways. Uh, they're both really sensitive. They looked a lot alike. They're both super smart. Dude, Kevin, I was doing my research in my Googs. He read an entire encyclopedia set in the third grade. I'm going to just say this right now. Wait, people can read in the third grade? <laughs> like... <laughs> people can read in... 
people can, but like Junie B. Jones books, like who's reading an encyclopedia? Yeah, seriously. Like Amelia. I love Junie B. Jones. Um, (laughs) but like brown bear, brown bear. (laughs) I don't like. I don't think I've ever read an encyclopedia book. Forget an entire set. And he did this at eight. No, I'm yeah, yeah. I just Googs it I all. I Googs it all. You know, this is a little <laughs> bit before the Googs. This is before the Googling yeah. times. But yeah, he read an entire encyclopedia set. Um, and yeah, so both of the boys were, of course, incredibly musical, just like their family. Um, they love jazz. And they were incredible athletes. So, you know, just cute little... So they just grew up around, essentially, sports and a lot of music in their home. Yeah, but like, it was just like a lot of like... It, but they were so much more than just sports and music. Like, they loved to read. Yeah. They were into art. They were like incredibly yeah, sensitive. Super they were smart. just like, the, like really just well-rounded kids in those ways. Um, and their mother remarried shortly after to a man named Ron Barker, who we hate. We hate Ron Barker. Um, yeah, I don't trust him. Yeah, with a name like Ron know him, Barker, I, don't trust I just, him. I feel like... I don't know. Um, sorry to any Ron Barkers. I feel like that's a common name. Why does it sound like... Who's the guy from The Price is Right? Bob Barker? Oh, is that why it sounds common? <laughs> is that why... Don't forget to spay and neuter your pets? I don't... Oh, is that I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, that was I totally watched The topic. View when I stayed home and Jerry Springer. <laughs> I Mar- watched <laughs> Mari and The Price is Right. I never watched The Price is Right. It's too many colors... Uh, it was a lot going on. I just, I like, I would prefer to find out if you are the father or not the father than watch people yelling and screaming. <laughs> and, and how like, fast you can banana run to costumes, the back. You know, like, oh yeah, how fast you can run to the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, Ron Barker, who we hate, um, and Bison and Kevin both hated, they called him abusive. Like, he was physically and verbally abusive yeah. and was just constantly berating them. And a lot of the issues wow. the brothers faced later in life was just tied to their unhappy childhood. And their mother has, like, refuted some of this, but they would talk about how she would just kind of, like, be there as as her husband was really just berating and, and verbally and physically even abusing her children. Um, was he abusive to her as well? Or I mean, we don't know? know, but, like, I am just sort of liable to think yes. Like, I just, like, I find yeah. it hard to believe that he wasn't. Um, and just, like, from their stories, it kind of seemed like he was just, like, bitter and jealous of these, like, two kids. Because they were just, like, adorable and just musically gifted, played a bunch of instruments, and, like, were super smart. I feel like he never read an encyclopedia set. Like, I feel like he was probably reading Junie B. Jones books while, like, Bison and Kevin were reading encyclopedias. Like, I think that's what was happening. Um, like, just jealous because they're all around just, like, great Yeah, people. and, like, had a future ahead mm-hmm. of them, and he was Ron Barker. Um, anyway. Uh, so, uh, the uh, Bison and Kevin grew up to face a lot of problems. Both of them suffered depression in life. Um, both of them uh, attempted suicide on multiple occasions. So it was really, really mm-hmm. rough. Um, Bison, however, mm-hmm. had an outlet. He played sports. So sports was his thing. He was a track star. He was really, really quick. Um, and Kevin had a lot of the same athletic genes. The only issue was Kevin had severe asthma. So he didn't have the same outlet. Yeah. He wasn't able to compete ever. Whereas Bison became like a, a star track player. Um, and then they both hit this massive growth spurt. And that's when Bison started playing basketball. So it was in his sophomore year of high school when he hit this massive growth spurt. And it just like his story kind of feels very similar to a lot of really tall like players in the NBA even who are seemingly are only in, 
in the NBA because of how tall they are, not because they have a passion for basketball. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're almost seven feet, what else are you going to do, basically, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of his thing, where he, like, grew to be 6'10", 6'11", um, and just, like, you know, 250, 260 pounds, basketball was going to be his career. So it, it's kind of sad. And it was it's really interesting, like... Um, this weekend when I was doing the the watch party, David West was talking about Roy Hibbert kind of being a similar way, where obviously Roy Hibbert's story mm-hmm. is completely different, but the fact that Roy Hibbert was so tall and maybe just didn't have the passion for basketball as everybody else wanted him to, yeah. he was just tall. Um, and I think that we see a lot of that with tall guys. Larry Sanders is one of them. You know, we just, there are a lot. Bynum is, of course, like, you know, another one. So, um, but despite not having a passion for the game, Bison was incredibly talented at it. He went on to be McDonald's All-American, and then he went to the University of Maryland before transferring to the University of Arizona, uh, just because he had philosophical differences with the coach in Maryland he wanted out, and went to the University of Arizona, which, fun fact, if you're a Raptors fan, uh, Kevin O'Neill, who was a former Raptors head coach, would have been Bison's assistant head coach, assistant coach? Um, in uh, the University of Arizona. So he knew him there. Everything comes back to the Raptors um, for this podcast. You know, <laughs> I try to plug the Raptors in as much as I can in life. I'll be at work and I'll be like, well, you know the Raptors. <laughs> like, Imam, that has nothing to do with what we're doing. <laughs> we're talking about Google Analytics. What are you talking about? Um, so, so, yeah. So, anyways, Kevin O'Neill. Um, nice connection there. Uh, so yeah, so he transferred over to University of Arizona, um, before getting drafted to the NBA. Meanwhile, Kevin, uh, definitely was not on the same trajectory. Instead, he kind of flailed around, he dropped out of the university, he really struggled to find his path. It was sort of at this point that the men kind of went their separate ways, like one had his life set, you know what he was going to be. You know that he was going to be drafted by the NBA. I mean, he was a lottery pick, top 10. Um, he had millions. You saw that he was going to make that. He had um, charm and girls all around him. He was really charming. I think he was probably more charming and more outgoing than his brother simply because because they were both they both grew up to be super shy kids. But I think probably the popularity probably like the star yeah. thing kind of brought him a little bit out of his shell because it was always seemed like Kevin was kind of the more... At such a young age, too. Yeah, it seemed like Kevin was the more uh, the one who was like more socially awkward and Bison had like girls all over him. He was popular um, and he didn't care for that, but he was, you know what I mean? It's, it's like hard to, um, it's hard to shake. And so they... Yeah, it definitely shapes you. Yeah, yeah. So, um... It was just, like, they they just were on completely different trajectories in life. And I have here in the note, which, like, made me so sad. But as you're listening to, like, these documentaries and reading articles, everyone's like, despite them looking similar, Bison was always seen as more handsome than his brother. And I'm like, you guys are me. Aww, like, that's all. Or Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I know, Kevin. Um, and, like, they were like, and Bison grew to be taller. And it's just like, okay, first of all, at a certain point, being taller doesn't matter as much. When you're talking about 6'11", like 6'10", I don't, like, I don't know <laughs> that an inch is like, oh, look at him, he's taller. Like, bruh, you guys are both giants. Um, that... Uh, just don't speak for both of us in that situation. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, it's fair. It's fair. Like, I'm like five, four and a half. Do not forget the half. Um, I'm also five, seven. So <laughs> sure. <that. laughs> 
<laughs> you're five seven in your dreams, Sidra, and that's all that matters, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so and like they're like, well, and and Bison had a better build than his brother because he was a professional athlete, and I'm like, you guys need to stop piling it on, okay? Like Kevin gets it. Um, Why are we shitting on Kevin right now? <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of like that's kind of the, their story is like one of them seemingly had it all yeah and was a younger brother at that but he kevin was you know quote-unquote held back by his asthma and i mean you can i don't believe that anyone's really held back by anything i think everybody kind of has their path but it was very clear that um kevin never found his and i'm not even sure that bison ever really found his but um whatever path he was led on was definitely more lucrative so anywho uh, we're flashing forward to Bison getting drafted by the NBA, which he called one of the worst days of his life. And the mm-hmm. reason for that was just his lack of passion playing basketball. He was just mm-hmm. not into it. And I think all of it was exacerbated playing in a ci- city he just didn't take to. Like, he hated living in Orlando, Florida. He did not... He's from California, so it's not like it's a climate issue. I, I don't even know what you can really chalk it up to. Because he did play... It's a Florida issue. It's a, it's a Florida issue. Who wants to live in Florida? That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Because I was like, in my head, I'm like, it's not like he was like suffering winters. Like, what were you? But like, yeah, he was in Florida. I get you. I get you, Bison. Um, so yeah, he was having a really hard time. And then his sophomore year, so rookie season went by. Uh, he struggled, but it, he's a rookie and I'm sure a lot of rookies do. Uh, the following yeah. year, so 1992-1993 season, that's what hit him really hard. And if you remember, 92 was when Shaq was drafted by the Orlando Magic. So now Bison is a power mm. forward on this team. He's their young top 10 pick. And you have Shaquille O'Neal, the Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal. O'Neal coming in. We're talking yeah. about, um, you know, cameras, lights, action, like all of that kind of being put on that team. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure we weren't around <laughs> in 92, but it's okay. Uh, you know, we can we can assume what was happening. Um, I was being born. I was, I was in the process. It was happening. You yeah, guys. I was being built. We I probably there. had like fingernails. <laughs> you know, like that like pregnancy tracker. You're like, we were a bean at this point. <laughs> yeah, I was probably a cantaloupe. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so anywho, it it was just a really, really tough year for him. And I think, uh, I'm not, like, I, I don't know if a lot of that was the, the added pressure of, you know, being on this team now mm-hmm. and having these expectations on him. But he also just was not taking to Florida. And it was taking a toll on him mentally. There's even a story of, like, one time Bison in practice passed out, like, flat out passed out in practice during a five-on-five scrimmage while he was guarding Shaq. Which, I mean, wow. can you imagine if that happened today? Like, just... Ugh. Like, someone's guarding Embiid and, like, pass... Yeah, like, we're talking about, like, like Markel Fultz's, yeah. like, rookie season and, like, I don't know why Markel Fultz will be guarding Shaq. I don't know what scenario... I mean, uh, Embiid, I don't know what scenario I've concocted. <laughs> um, but, you know, Brad Brown was just would have been wild in one of these days. And, uh, like, can you imagine if a story like that had come out? Like, that would have just shook Twitter. It's, like, crazy to hear all of these stories as I'm, like, doing research for these cases. And I'm like, yeah. Twitter definitely did not exist during this time because this would have dominated the news cycle. Um, we would have flipped. And, like... It would have been like, what yeah. the hell? Let the guy like rest. Let him do something. Like, and part of it, part of it was his nutrition. So, the NBA has grown so much mm-hmm. in caring for this. But Bison, mm-hmm. and I talked about this. This guy was like 6'10", 6'11", 240 pounds. Um, 
he was eating 2,000 calories a day. Which has to be a combo at McDonald's. Literally. Like, he cannot, like... For an NBA for player it, who's, like, that He's a like, professional athlete who is, like, twice the size of, like, uh, an average person. And he was a vegetarian like because, you know, he, he, he lived a vegetarian lifestyle his whole life. Like, he's always sort of cared for the animals in that way. And the lack of iron, the lack of protein, the extensive workouts, the being a giant yeah. human being. He just wasn't consuming enough protein and iron. I think in today's NBA, there are, are a lot of players that have gone vegan and have found, you know, alternatives. But they have chefs. They have personal cooks. Like they have nutritionists. Yeah. They have, like, team doctors who are monitoring this. And that just wasn't the case for Bison. Um Keep in mind that he had depression as well. This was the year that he was actually diagnosed with clinical depression. He had two suicide attempts that we are aware of Whoa. that year. I know he... Um, in just that in year? just that year. He crashed his car into a pole um, one time. And another time he tried to overdose on 15 sleeping pills. Wow. Yeah. So he was, he was really going through it. He was really struggling. Uh, diagnosed with clinical depression. So he was actually moved to... Um, their injured reserve list and he only played 21 games that year wow. for the orlando magic yeah yeah oh my gosh it's like it's incredible to think about the way that the like i don't think the nba has the facilities like you don't have the facilities for that big man but to care for um mental health today like i think that they've made steps and yeah. they've progressed um and it's very clear that they're not where they were you know 30 years ago with bison daily but, and, and it's clear that they, you know, progressed since Royce White. It's clear that they've progressed in these, these years, but, whew, like, they still have such a ways to go. And you think about stories like his, yeah. like, I can't imagine that he's just the one, you know what I mean, that is suffering no. like this. He just has, uh, there's a tragic ending to the story, so it's one that we all know. But, I mean, it's just, like, it's so sad. Um, and we often, like... <sighs> We just treat these guys like you got drafted by the like in the NBA. You're a top ten pick. You got all these girls around you. You're living like your best life in Florida. Like, how are you depressed? Like, we just like completely dehumanize yeah. these guys and not recognize that like there are so many. There's so much pressure put on these guys. There's so much of. Yeah. It's just so heartbreaking and it's incredibly sad. And I'm so glad that we're at a place now where players are speaking out more and more because I think that's so important moving forward. Shout out to Damar and Kevin Shout Love. Shout out to Damar and Kevin Love, for sure. I also think, like, we as a society, like, especially yeah. then, but even now, like, we don't really understand mental health mm, as much you can't as we see should. It, like, you know? It's hard. Yeah. It's so and, hard. Um, so. I, I forget who said this, but someone was talking about when um, the thing with Royce White was happening. For those of you guys who don't remember, Royce White was um, uh, a draft pick, a lottery pick, if I'm not mistaken, by the Houston Rockets back in, I want to say, 2013. Uh, might have been 2015, 2013, 2015, something like that. Um, and he was a draft pick, and he had severe anxiety where he could not get on team flights, which became a huge deal, of course, because NBA players are constantly flying from team to team. Um, yeah. And so it became a really big deal, but apparently, um, this is all alleged and apparent. I don't want the NBA to get mad at anybody, but... Um, 
David Stern was trying to really squash the story just because he didn't want that being used as an excuse for other guys moving forward as if people are just going to use their mental health as an excuse because there's no way to really track it. You can just say, hey, I'm not feeling well. There's no x-ray to prove that someone isn't feeling well, you know, Mm -hmm. which is just so unfortunate. Like if someone wants a mental health day, let them take a mental health day. Yeah. Even when you just think about their, yeah, I get that they're like millionaires and they're living these like extravagant lives, but going back to like what we know now, like they don't even get to celebrate Christmas with their families. Mm. And so many of them, like, and like, they just miss so much. They miss so much. I, um, they miss so much. And even beyond that, we don't ever consider the amount of pressure that gets put on them. Not just like the Danny Green missing a shot in the finals game yeah. pressure, uh, which, I mean, I can't imagine his, like, 24 And then getting hours, death threats. Like, I can't get his fiance getting death threats. Like, I can't imagine yeah. that entire 24-hour period for him, a 48-hour period. Beyond that, there's coming, like, the players are talking about not knowing who to trust. Like, you can't trust yeah. anybody because... You're surrounded by a bunch of yes men. People just want you for your money. The money goes away. Where are the people? Everyone, like cousins that you've never met, heard of, never knew their name. You're probably not even related to them. Start showing up. Uh, people expect things from you. Um, and you're constantly having to tell people no, which is a really difficult thing for a kid to do. Um, and you're yeah. having to support your family, extended family. And just like there's so much added pressure Um you're isolated from everybody you're in a new city that you don't know like there's just so much to it that we don't consider because we're like money and we all think that that's you know fame girls power like such a small part of it and that's like so meaningless like we think about like our favorite things in life nobody's gonna be like well you know when i went to the club and uh, like nobody's gonna say that it's not it's not great everybody wanted my autograph like that sounds so annoying i'm gonna be honest with you that feels so annoying yeah. I don't like writing. I'll type you my autograph. <laughs> if I met the members of One Direction, I would ask them for autographs. So. I'm sure you would. I'm sure, I hear, you know what? I, I'm <laughs> sure I would ask, you know, people for their autographs too. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, he didn't, yeah, so he didn't play much um, in his year in Orlando. His second year in Orlando, he was moved to the injury reserve list after his diagnosis. Um, and then, of course, his time with Orlando ended. He then went to Denver, uh, where he played two seasons in Denver, and things seemed better for him. Uh, he was playing with guys like Mahmoud Abdurouf in Denver and Dikembe Matumbo. And then the following season, he went to the Clippers for the 1995-1996 season. So that's where we're at. 95-96. And he kind of has his breakout year. He averages 16-8-2. and two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he he was putting up good numbers. He was back in California. He was, you know, playing the best basketball of his career. And I'm not sure if it was his like breakout play demanding more money or what, but he really couldn't find a team to pay him in 96, 97. And I'm sure part of it was like, you know, we know your history with mental illness. We, you know, know that you're not like he he would do things like there are stories about him being on team planes where he would like look at the flight attendant dead in the eye and be like, what would happen if I open the door right now? And the whole team would be like, I really hope that God Bison is not going to open the door right now on the plane. Like, yeah, like there were stories like that. Like he just, he was a different kid. Like he marched to the beat of his own drum. He never really fully fit in on a team. Um, like even when he was in uh, college playing ball, like everyone, um, 
his coach would be like, you know, all the kids would be at a kegger and he would be at a winery. All the kids would be at a party and he'd be at an art museum. Um, you know, on team planes, everybody would be playing cards. He's, he's just what my parents want me to be. He, he marches to the beat of his own drum, which is, like, really special yeah. and great, but there was a darkness to him. And there there was something yeah. where... I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I'd be terrified if I was on a plane and someone looked at someone dead in the eye and said, what would happen right now if I opened the door? And be like, let's not find out. Like, you can take a physics class yeah. if you want to learn how this stuff works. We're not gonna... You know, there's no, there's no impact. I feel like I'd be uncomfortable the entire plane And I think that's how teammates felt around him. And, like, it was very clear that he was dealing with something that, um, wasn't properly really being addressed, um, basically because of the lifestyle that he was living. So, uh, yeah, teams did not pay him in the uh, 96-97 season. So he was, he was a free agent. He has the best, you know, year uh, of his playing career, does well. He's looking for his big payday, and it doesn't come. So he kind of pretty much just, like, waits it out that year. And he doesn't start playing basketball until the tail end of 1997, which is when he joined the Bulls for nine games. That's how he ended up on the Bulls, where he just didn't get his big contract that year, so he kind of waited it out for a team for a perfect fit, got on the Bulls, and things worked out really well for him. Like, he joined for the last nine games of the season, just in time to qualify for the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And... Bison's nice. yeah. Bison said that his time with the Bulls was his best time playing basketball. Aww. Yeah, and like despite joining the team so late, he was like actually integral to their team success. And dude, Michael Jordan even liked him. Aww. I know. I love, that. Like, I love it too. And like after watching the MJ documentary, I'm like, if MJ likes you, there's got to be something to that because I feel like MJ hates everybody. <laughs> hates everyone. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't care about anything. Yeah, like, I, I just feel like I'm a little bit scared of Michael Jordan. So, yeah, yeah. I think that says a lot about Bison as as a player. And um, to me, it was, like, really interesting because, like, he always struggled to stay motivated through his career. Like, that was another knock on him was just, like, his mind would wander. Like, he would be doing drills and, like, you'd be like, Bison, like, we're doing suicides. Where have you, like, where have you gone? Like, what are you doing? Because his mind would just wander and he was just, like, in different places yeah. and, like, didn't really care about the task at hand at times. Um, but that, I guess, didn't happen with the Bulls because I just feel like MJ just wouldn't have the patience for it. And so, yeah. like... Maybe it is kind of like the MJ effect of like you're playing with a guy who's so obsessive and loves basketball as much as MJ does. That, I also like, feel like if you're playing it with MJ, you? you're yeah. kind of just like scared of him and you don't want to disappoint him. <laughs> I don't think that Bison cares though. That's the thing about Bison. I genuinely do not think he cares about being about disappointing MJ or being scared of MJ or anything like that. I think he's so over everything. Hmm. He just, like, he's just, like, he was different. And, like, uh, I just think that, uh, to me, like, honestly, looking at it, I feel like MJ is so obsessive and, like, loves the game so much and has such a passion for the game that, like, maybe it was infectious. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Like, maybe it was just being so close to a title. Like, I imagine after working so long towards a title, like, being so close to it motivated him. I don't know what it was. But on June 13th, 1997, 22 years to the date of the Raptors Championship. Yes, I threw that in there because I had to. I'm, like, legally obligated to. Bring it back to the Raptors. (laughs) Gotta do it. Gotta do it. That's why I'm here. (laughs) Bison and the Chicago Bulls won a title. And, dude, there's an iconic photo. I want to, like, post it on our Instagram page of, um... 
of this like when they won a championship and you see like MJ waving at the crowd and like the whole crowd is cheering and there's confetti falling and Bison is just standing there dead eye no emotion on his face what yeah <laughs> after winning a championship like everyone is celebrating it's like the most kawaii thing like we talk about I was just gonna like, say <laughs> like, it was, I was like, like I... such a great photo I wouldn't even picture Kawhi doing that though. Like after he no, won, Kawhi he was actually excited. But Kawhi was really. Let me tell you something. We had a year of Kawhi. That was the most animated man. Like the fact that like OG Ananobi not animated. Kawhi Leonard laughed at his press conference the first time he was here. <laughs> screamed louder than anybody when he hit the shot. Like that was like you know a Simba roar when Mufasa fell down. Oh, why'd you have to talk about that? That's so I don't know. That's where my mind went. It's a really dark place right now. I don't want to talk about (laughs) that ever. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Um, So, but I I just feel like like, Kawhi is really expressive. Like, he laughs, you know, what I do, baby. Like, you know, I I feel like it was a wrong wrong thing that we put on Kawhi. I just feel like San Antonio is boring as hell. And that's all that happened. San Antonio is so boring. And we just assumed it was Kawhi. Meanwhile, it was San Antonio the entire time. But that's no. a story for another day. <laughs> I don't know how I made this a Raptors podcast. <laughs> but um, It's our specialty. It really is. Um, so, yeah. So, anywho, they won a title. It's this iconic photo. Like, I, it's such a great picture because it, I think, perfectly encapsulates this man's career. And I have a couple of quotes here about that. So, Steve Kerr. Uh, you know, coach of the Golden State Warriors, NBA champion on the Chicago Bulls team as well, and I guess Spurs team, whatever. Um, but, you know, we're talking about the Bulls right now. He once said about Bison Daly, he called him maybe the most physically gifted player I ever saw. Whoa. Yeah. Steve Kerr said that? Steve Kerr said that about Bison. And I, like, I, I had more notes, and I think we just got sidetracked in our conversation, which I love. But, like, Bison was a track star. This dude was incredibly quick and then just grew to be tall. Like, he had the speed and athleticism of, like, a smaller guy, but he was a bigger body. Like, I would love to see yeah. what he would have looked like in today's NBA. Um, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, Steve Kerr calls him maybe the most physically gifted player I ever saw. And um, Bison Daly once told his teammate, Tom Tolbert, he said he wished he had the passion for basketball that Miles Davis had for music. Aww. Right? So, that's kind of like the whole thing, which is why I love that photo. Because it, like, it shows that his talent just got him to the highest stage in the world. But even there, he's kind of just like, I don't really care about this shit. You know what it's I mean? Like, like, I think it, like, that if your heart's not in it, you could be literally on top of the world, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day. That's so poetic. I feel like I copied a quote from somewhere that just stuck with me. But... No, it's yours. You made it up. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> but seriously, um, though, like, if you don't love what you're doing, what, what the hell is the point? Honestly. Honestly. And that's kind of, that was Bison's whole thing, where if you don't love what you're doing, what is the whole point? He was incredibly talented at this. He had, like, great speed, size, athleticism, strength. Uh, He was just gifted. You know, Steve Kerr called him one of the most physically gifted players he'd ever seen. Um, But he just never had a passion for it, and he wanted to. Like, that's the sad thing about that Miles Davis quote, is, like, he wanted to love basketball. He recognized how good he was at it. And he wanted to love it. He just did not have the passion for it. Um, and he just didn't really care to be a basketball player. Like, he never wanted to be considered an athlete. That's just 
that he felt like that was pigeonholing him. He thought he was so much more, and he was. Um, yeah. And that's like honestly, learning about him was like he's one of the most interesting former NBA players that I've ever read about. He was a world traveler. He ran with the Bulls in Paplona. I was like, yeah, he ran with the Bulls. He was on the Bulls team. <laughs> But then I realized what you were saying, and now I feel like no, a dumbass. <laughs> no, I mean, like, in Spain, which I, I just have to say, I get it. Like, I get that it's culture. I get that it's tradition. Uh, it's terrifying. But it's death at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> like, death exists, you guys. I just want that to be clear to everyone who wants to do it. Like, I respect your traditions. I respect everybody's culture. But death. Like, I'm scared. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> Why don't you get your driver's license first? Death. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do it because of death. I don't do it because of death. (laughs) I'm going to try to work that into working from home forever. Um, (laughs) Sorry, boss. Death. Um, So, yeah. So, anyway, like his family, he was musical. He played the saxophone. He played the trombone. He played the violin. Wow. He loved poetry. I know. He's Those are some of the hardest instruments. Yo, he mastered everything. And, like, can you imagine just, like, a 6'11", 250-pound man playing a violin? I love that. I actually (laughs) love that. That's adorable. (laughs) He loved poetry. Uh, He considered himself a deep thinker. He loved debate. He was really well-read. He had specific interests in philosophy, politics, and discussing race. Um, He even earned a pilot's license. Wow. He really wanted to do everything but play basketball. (laughs) <laughs> exactly and i feel like i feel like that's got to be against the cba rule <laughs> like i just i can't imagine like but ben simmons has like a pilot license like i don't think that like pascal siakam's not getting on a plane a drive no. piloting a plane i just don't think that's a thing that can no. actually happen in the cba i don't know no. but this dude okay so he has his best friend who i love named patrick Byrne. Okay. Patrick Byrne had survived to testicular cancer at 22. Wow. I know. And so he grew into, like, this crazy free spirit who decided to just, like, grab life by the balls and, like, just do everything and go so hard. And Bison, just being Bison, was already on that same frequency. Yeah. So, like, they connected right away. And, dude, Patrick didn't even know that Bison was an NBA player for the first two months of their friendship. Oh, my gosh. That's so awesome. That really is. I feel like NBA players, one that, like, probably don't make a lot of new friends because they're just, like, worried that either you're, like, doing it because I'm an NBA player or, like, right. you want my but money Right, but today it's so something. hard because it's, like, yeah. everybody has, like, 2K or, like, watching basketball. Like, they know who you are, you know, yeah. you're everywhere. Whereas, like, at that time, he didn't have an Instagram account with, like, 50,000 followers. So, like, his friend wasn't, like, dude, why do you have 50,000 followers? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that wasn't <laughs> yeah. a thing. So, uh, he didn't know that he was a, a, an NBA player for the first two months of their friendship. And so, like, they did so many things together that I'm sure is, like, totally against the CBA. They skydived. Whoa. Which, like, no. OG Ananobi, you're never jumping off of a plane. That's not happening. I'm scared for your life. I'm going to do it, but I don't care about my life as much. <laughs> um, they Okay, they rode their bikes from Salt Lake City to Phoenix with no camping gear. Okay, I am not I'm American, so I time. don't know what they that means. Rode, no, no, no. I, okay, listen. Okay, rode their bikes from Salt Lake City to Phoenix. Now, here's the thing. I'm not American. Utah. I don't know American geography. But here's what I do know. Utah has mountains, snow, yeah. and white people. <laughs> Arizona is a desert that borders Mexico. 
Okay. Oh. Huh. Arizona's a desert that borders Mexico. That is a long bike ride. For real. With no camping gear. So it's like, what did they do when they stopped? You didn't ride your bike that entire... That's a long car ride. For real. Forget riding your bike. I would get annoyed with the person. Imagine riding your bike, no camping gear. Like, what do they do? That has to be against a CBA. <laughs> <laughs> You're all about the CBA today. <laughs> you can't You can't be homeless on the streets. I'm like, I don't know what, what the direction is from Utah to Mexico to Arizona. I just know mountain snow, and I know desert, and I know that's far away. For real. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just feel like, you know, geography has taught me a little bit, and that snow and deserts are not always, you know, in the same area. Um, anyway, watch someone, like, res- like respond to me, like, well, actually, it only takes two hours to bike ride yeah. from, nobody cares. I was trying to um, think about the climate in Buxton, and I feel like there's a bunch of everything. Yeah, so. I'm sure that, like, definitely happens. Yeah. I'm, sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure it happens there. I don't know. I just but it's know also that big, that seems so. far, okay? Yeah. Um, anywho. <laughs> so, okay, dude, think, listen to this story. There was a story of Bison tearing part of his Achilles. Ugh. Tearing part of his Achilles. When the two of them were playing around with go-karts and crashed on the afternoon of a game day. What? Wait, what? First of all, why weren't you already in the arena? (laughs) (laughs) What? Can you imagine? Okay, I have to keep coming back to this. this Men is are so 250-pound man. You're a grown dude, Bison. You don't need to be crashing Men into go-karts. Men don't fear anything. Men literally don't fear anything. How did he fit in the go-kart? Just, he's probably got stuck in there, and that's why he had to <laughs> crash, because he's like, the only way out is to crash and break it. <laughs> Yeah, that's accurate. Anywho, that like I like as I read this, I'm just like I can't. I don't know. Like, can you imagine if that happened? That would never happen to me. LeBron James was in a go kart. (laughs) Like Maverick Carter and LeBron James crashed into each other in a go kart. Like, that's not gonna happen. (laughs) That's just never gonna happen. Anywho, it would happen to J.R. Smith though. (laughs) <laughs> it, that really if one would. person that would have happened to is J.R. Yo, Dion Waiters and J.R. Smith like <laughs> celebrating in Orlando. They like stayed in Disney World and they just yeah, I I would yeah. buy it. I would believe. That. Yeah, I would I'd be like, okay, story. yeah, sure. <laughs> Quinn Cook still chasing after the bus. <laughs> it's like, oh, you guys are here. <laughs> you actually left me. <laughs> Poor Queen Cook. Okay, so um, back to the story of Bison Dele. So coming off of a championship and like a really solid playoff run, Bison finally gets the large contract that he'd been previously holding out for. Amazing. Our dude gets paid, guy. He in 1997 he gets a huge payday from your team, the Detroit Pistons. Yay. He was the highest paid player in Detroit history at that point. Whoa! How much did he in get 1997? Paid? He got paid fifty million dollars for seven years. Wow. Seven year contract, fifty million dollars, which is like nothing now. But back in the day, that's big. Back in the that's seven years. Like I don't know how NBA contracts. Like what were you guys even thinking? Seven years? Are you kidding? Like yeah, what kind of been, commitment? <laughs> so long. Now um, the NBA has years. commitment issues. We just do one yeah. year. <laughs> so one plus one. Yeah, one, one plus and then one. if I decide to come back later. Yeah. Um. That's how marriages should work. I'm just saying. That's a conversation for another day. Um, 
<laughs> so, uh, so 1997, this is also when um, Brian Williams changed his name to Bison Daly. So for the majority of his basketball career, he was known as uh, Brian Williams. It was in 1997 when he changed his name to Bison Daly. And so just to get into a little bit of context with where the Detroit Pistons were at this time when they gave him such a giant contract, um, this is kind of known as their teal era because of those jerseys that I love so much. I think I hate those jerseys. Oh my god, I think I hate you. I'm kidding. I was really harsh, but like I that <laughs> what hit the me hell? Really, that hit me in a really like hurt spot. Those are beautiful jerseys. That was honest, and I was I it wasn't honest. And I it feel wasn't attacked. <laughs> you should. You might so, have anyway, hated was, me on a pod. <laughs> so this is a dark period. Uh, this is like post the Bad Boys Pistons. Yeah. You know? And then, like, pre, like, the team that you love so much, right? Yeah. Like, pre those 2000 Pistons. This is 1997. Blue collar, so, like, real blue collar. Is that what, is that what I it feel was? like that's, oh, no, it really was I wasn't. hate it. I don't know what's happening, but I don't like it. It was real um, blue collar, though. They were, they were in Detroit. What's more blue collar than Detroit and, like, I don't know. automotive industry? Sure. Anyways, go on. <laughs> So, um, so at this time, Grant Hill was, like, the face of the future, and, of course, like, injury concerns played a role in yeah. Detroit just, like, being in this dark era um, with, with Grant Hill, but, like, also some of the awful contracts that they handed out at that time helped in their fumbling and struggling during those years, and one of those was the seven-year, $50 million contract yeah. they gave to Bison Daly. Um yeah, so after signing his first massive contract, his generosity grew, though. So that's another thing. Like, Bison Daly is such a sweet guy. He's also incredibly generous. So when uh, the Pistons made the playoffs, he asked for his playoff shares to be split with, like, the ball boys, the custodians, the trainers. I, love that. I know. And one time when a Detroit Pistons secretary retired, the team asked for all the players to give $100 to buy her a present. But Bison was like, nah. And instead, he invited her to his home. He cooked her a gourmet meal, which is, like, the sweetest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then he gave her an envelope with $10,000 in it. Wow. I know. What a sweetheart. He's such a sweetheart. And, like, Doug Collins, who was his coach when he initially got there, um, said that, like, he was just always really generous with Christmas gifts and everything like that for the coaching staff and for the executives. That's so sweet. Yeah, he was incredibly generous. And he was, like, really generous with his family, too. He wasn't particularly close with them. They only really did show up when money was involved. But, you know, that's yeah. besides the point. Um, he bought his mom a house. And he put her through college, which is really cool. Oh, that's so um, cool. Yeah. And then his dad, unfortunately, developed a coke uh, addiction later on in life. Um, and there's this really sad story where uh, he bought his dad a Harley Davidson with a bonus that he received. Oh, and no. when he gave it to his dad, his dad was like, you should have just given me the money instead. Which, like, really broke my heart. Like, cause, like, it was, like, his first big bonus that he got. Yeah. As and, like, a son, decides, that's really sad, for that's sure. That's so sad, because, like, you, you get your first big bonus, and you're like, I'm not spending this on myself. I'm, like, going to buy my dad something yeah. that I think he'll really love. And then his dad is just like, no. Yeah. That just, like, really broke my heart. Um, and he gave his brother up to $100,000 for, like, various investment ideas and medical expenses. Uh, so he was just, a like, good a really kind, yeah, he was just a kind-hearted person, and, like, I definitely think that people, like, took advantage of his generosity, and I think that, like, part of that made him feel isolated. Yeah. Um, he just, like, never really fit in, you know? He was, like, a personable guy, but he was odd, and I think he never really fit in with his family, because he probably thought they, you know, wanted money, and he never really fit in with teams that he was mm -hmm. on, because he was just, he marched to the beat of his own drum. 
and was just a different different dude. Uh, but he was incredibly rich, incredibly successful, incredibly smart, incredibly talented, and he did like really well with women. I'll say that like he did really well for himself. Nice. He dated Sports Illustrated, yo. He dated Sports Illustrated swimsuit models. Ooh. Girls flocked to him. He received one time. I think this was when he was living in. It was either Los Angeles or Detroit. I can't remember. But he received this note from a neighbor, and I'm pra- paraphrasing here, but she basically said like I'd be willing to risk it all for you. She's like, my husband knows, and I don't care. Like, I'd be willing to risk it all, aka my marriage, for a night with you. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, girls would throw themselves at him. And he just was not interested. He, like, turned that down. Like, he was just not interested in it. The dude even dated Madonna in the 90s. Wait, he what? He dated Madonna. Like, material girl. <laughs> like, material, that Madonna. That, uh, Yes. That is crazy. That is crazy. Um, but he did not like. He Madonna. really lived a full life, huh? He has he, honestly. He didn't like Madonna. Do you know what he did? This is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. He yeah. thought she was really self-absorbed. I mean, and, it's Madonna. Uh, it is Madonna. So his friend Patrick, who we love so much, um, whenever Madonna would call, he would just give Patrick the phone and let Patrick listen to her, and then just go about his day. To Madonna, that he did not I love hear that. Madonna talk. I love that. I freaking love the that. Funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Let me just humble Madonna real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk to my like, friend? Every documentary and like every story about him like shares this, and it's just like Madonna just like hearing about like how self absorbed you are. You didn't even know that you weren't talking to your boyfriend. You were talking to his friend on the phone. Oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> that is. It's so great. It's so funny. Anywho. So, yeah, so he basically just found, like, a lot of the women around him were just like that. Like, they, he just thought they were all superficial and self-absorbed. Except for this one lady named Serena Carlin, who he met while he was playing for the Clippers. He met her in 1997. There's um, a love story in this story? <laughs> I love it. There is a love story in the story. She was the one girl he truly connected with because he thought she was different. He was like, you know, she's not superficial. She doesn't care about, like, fame or money. You're not like other girls. You're not, yo, <laughs> You're not like, like, like other girls. It's as cheesy as you think, but it's so <laughs> sweet. Like, I think I think how like, they connected was there was she told him, she was like, um, you ever feel like you can be in a, alone in a room full of people? Like, I think that was, like, one of the lines. And he was like, <laughs> yes. Which I'm like, this is the cheesiest movie, but, like, I love you guys at the Wait, same time. that's all it takes to, like, get a really rich, nice dude? On, just pretend that you do not care for a couple of months. That's all I need to go on quotes.com and get, like, some <laughs> cheesy quotes. Just read any John Green book. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um... So, yeah, so he, you know, he thought she was different. She was incredibly beautiful. And I'm on the inside and out. And I'm going to be honest. And, like, Serena is incredible. Like, she was incredibly beautiful. Um, She kind of has, like, this cat-like face, honestly. Ooh. But she kind of looks like, and we'll post a picture of her, um, a young Melania Trump. I mean that with, like, no disrespect. Because, like, imagine if Melania Trump wasn't evil and wretched. Me. No, no, no. Imagine if, like, it's, like, she looks like Melania Trump with, like, without an orange spray tan who's like she actually cared about christmas she actually cared and and kids in cages and kids in cages you know um you know just like wasn't evil like imagine if you stripped out all of the evil and like she kind of has like a very similar face like 
built as Melania. I mean, like, kind of cat-like eyes that, like, turn up. Um, and just, like, high cheekbones. Like, she has, like, a similar face and, like, brown hair. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess Melania was a model, so. Yeah, like, she was attractive at one point before she became the spawn of Satan. And here's yeah. the thing. Serena was, like, beautiful on the on the inside as well as the out. Um, she was just, like, a really beautiful soul. Anywho. So she was born on April 4th of 1972, and the two met in 1997. So just like Bison, her parents divorced April when she was 4th. only one years old. April 4th. He was born April 6th. So yeah. He was born, yeah, it's like really similar birthdays. I like that you picked up on that, because that's like the first thing I pick up on always. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, just thinking like he probably never forgot her birthday. Like he's so lucky he never got in trouble for that. Yeah. Whereas like, in you're thinking your about their astrological, like, horoscope weird Yeah, things. just like, oh, well, two little weird Aries got together. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah. So, um, she was born April 4th, 1972, and the two met in 1997. So just like Bison, her parents divorced when she was one years old. Um, and she actually has this really interesting birth story. So her name is actually Serena Midnight Car- uh, Carlin. Ooh, they both have, and- like... Really pretty names. No, no, no. She kept her name. She kept her name. But um, she, I just called her Serena Carlin initially, but her full name, like her middle name is Midnight. And the reason her middle name is Midnight is she was born between 1158 and 1202. So like half of her body popped out at 1158 and the other half popped out at 1202. So she was called Midnight. So she could have been born on April 1st too. Not 1st because I didn't say three days. Oh, April 4th. 4th. Sorry. (laughs) April 3rd. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'm a little Um, ESL sometimes. (laughs) Or like maybe it was April 5th. I don't know if it was like April 4th into April 5th and they're counting like the 1158. I don't know what they're counting. Do you count when the whole body comes out or do you count when like a part of the body comes out? I do not know. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, that's just like an interesting question that we should ask a doctor the next time we speak with one. I'll ask Mindy Lahiri. (laughs) (laughs) Are you friends with her? No, but like we're two funny brown girls, so like we should be, right? Yeah, sure, but she's like a fictional character. Uh, yeah. You met Mindy Killing? No, no, I met Lahiri. Oh, you met literally Mindy Lahiri. Oh, she's a doctor, Mindy Killing isn't. Okay, true. I mean, yeah, you guys are both funny brown girls. I mean, if that's all it takes (laughs) to know each other. Um, (laughs) I'm not the one who said it. Um, (laughs) You can't get mad at me. I didn't say it. Can't get mad at me. Uh, So she also had like, she had like 30 people at her birth. Whoa. They were like meditating around and like playing music in her room. Ooh, this seems like a very spiritual family. She has a very spiritual family. Her her grandfather is actually um, Houston Smith, who was, like, this leading scholar of religious studies in the U.S. Very and, like, I implore everybody to, like, look up his work. Like, he's just, like, a really smart man who's well-versed in, like, all of the world's religions. And That's dope. Just, like, He's so incredible. Imagine cool. knowing like, all that information about other people's religions. That's like, honestly, so like, it's just like he's just, he seems like such an he was a scholar who like taught at a bunch of universities, and so she kind of like grew up around famous people her whole life, and just was not phased by them at all, which is why like cool. famous people took to her so well. Um, yeah. And she also, you know, more cliches. She was the pretty girl who didn't know she was pretty. You know, mm. you know, when people say that. Must but it's be like, nice. You know that you're pretty. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to all of it. You know you're pretty, Serena. But um, midnight. You you know you're pretty, midnight. But she like never wore makeup and like you know she just like kind of um was just like a like I don't know, um, but anywho, she was super dope, super dope, and like famous people really did take to her, dude. She was Prince's personal assistant. 
The prince. What is the story? I love how story? we're talking about Madonna and Prince. Like, she was Prince's assistant. What is the story? This is wild. They lived such interesting lives. And here's how she became Prince's assistant. Um, he met her at a nightclub and just was like, she's dope. And That's I want her to work story. for me. That wow. is literally the story, which, like, yeah. And so she ended up working for him. Like, I gotta she, go to more nightclubs. You gotta go to more nightclubs. And, like, seem too cool for Prince and that's what's going to get people's attention yeah yeah and like be like yeah just like be I don't know like Serena seems like Serena seems like such a cool chick anyway so she um they ended up meeting in 1997 but it didn't work out between them because she just wasn't interested in his life as an NBA player like he was just moving around all the time and like not in one place and she just wasn't interested in that lifestyle but like his lifestyle didn't appeal to him either. And so at yeah. his, in his prime, at 30 years old, living what we would all imagine as his best life, you know, uh, an NBA champion, getting paid star money, dating celebrities, he decided to walk away from all of it. Wow. The money, the girls, the potential for stardom. Just two years into his deal, he retired. That's he did crazy. five years and $36 million on the table. Wow. Because I feel like a lot of people probably think about it, but nobody ever actually just walks away. Because it's five, it's $36 million. Yeah, that's, that's, wow. That's incredible. And 30, like 30 is so young because you're like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Like, am I ever, like, how am I going to make money again? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many questions, but he was like, I've made enough in my career. I don't need to make the 36 million. And here's the thing, dude. Had he shown up to training camp? And was on his opening day roster. So when he retired, had he shown up to training camp and stayed there for the entirety of training camp, which is like a month, not even. I don't know how long it is. And then was there on opening day roster, he would have cleared $6 million. Just by being there on the opening day roster and then dipping. But he was like, no. He was really over it. He was so done with it. Wow. And like... Money just wasn't an issue for him, and I, I think he just wanted to get away from the entire lifestyle. I think he just wanted to get away from everybody. He probably wanted to get away from his family, uh, you know, asking for money. He probably wanted to get away from, like, the team, the, the regiment. I, he, I'm sure he didn't like being in Detroit with, like, the cold winters that really got to him, his depression. Like, he just wanted to escape, and I think he wanted to find himself as well. Yeah. Um, and, like, find what his purpose was, because he just didn't feel fulfilled despite living what we would all imagine as, like, the best life. Yeah. So he left. Wow. And first he went to Beirut. First he went to Beirut, Lebanon, to stay with a friend. He had a friend there named Ahmed. Um, I, I love how I don't know how to pronounce my dad's name. Um, <laughs> like Ahmed? How do you say it? Is it Ahmed? Uh, is it Ahmed? <laughs> Ahmed Al Husseini. Um, he stayed there for four months. Wow, um, Lebanon's yeah. beautiful. So I know, I know, and like he had a friend there who was making money too. So you know, he was he was living he was living nice. Um, and then he went to the Philippines, he went to Indonesia, he went to New Zealand before finally staying in Australia. Very cool. Very cool. He got to just yeah. travel. And all He's living while, like, my life right now. Dude, let me tell you. And, like, teams were still, like, trying to get him back. Like, the Detroit wow. Pistons were still like, bruh, you sure you don't want to come back? <laughs> like, they tracked him down to Beirut, Lebanon. And then he even got a letter from the Lakers 
from wow. Phil Jackson and Jerry West. The Phil Jackson and the Jerry West, because he played, remember, he played for yeah. Phil Jackson wow. on the Bulls. And then, um, and they wanted him to come play with the Lakers. And remember, he'd played with Shaq before in his rookie season, so it was, or in his sophomore year. So it's kind of like, you know, they, and his breakout year happened in Los Angeles. So I feel like everyone probably thought that, that was like perfect fit for him, but he was just like, no, he didn't respond at all. Actually, he kind of he left Phil Jackson on red, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and Jerry West, he left Jerry West on red. Imagine if Kawhi had just left Jerry West. He has, on red. he's literally he doing things to famous people that they've never experienced. Like Madonna got rejected, <laughs> Phil Jackson got rejected. Like, yo, good he for just him. had no time for them. Yeah, except he humbles people Jordan. real quick. Yeah, except, except for, for Michael MJ. Jordan. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so he, like, traveled the world, and then he learned how to sail. Because why? Wow. Not? What yeah. else are you going to do? Pilot's license, and then he learned how to sail. So, because he learned how to sail, he decided to buy a 55-foot, uh, I almost called it a 55-inch. It's not a 55-inch, I promise you that, because I feel like <laughs> he wouldn't be able to fit. A 55-foot catamaran named the, <laughs> named the Hakuna Matata, which I love. He named it the Hakuna Matata, Aww. his boat. But he spells it weird. He spells it H-U-K-U-N-A. There's a lot of um, Lion King in this story. <laughs> in there, this it, well, <laughs> I, I just brought the other yeah. one up. <laughs> but he named his uh, his boat the Hakuna Matata uh, for $650,000. This uh, catamaran, this boat, this whatever, had multiple bedrooms. It had a kitchen. It had bean bags. It had a TV. Um, and he decided he was just going to sail the South Pacific. Because he wanted to travel the world. Yeah. I want to do this. Dude, you know what he would do that I absolutely love? He would project Bob Marley concerts onto the jib of his boat. I learned what a jib was for the purposes of this podcast, and I forgot it already, but I'm pretty sure it's a sail. I just imagine it's a sail. It's probably oh. why people speak for the sail of the boat. Well, I mean, if you're projecting, uh, so he you're would probably project using that it part. on there. Dude, so people would come out in their canoes to watch the Bob Marley projections. Oh, that's so and they would fun. Just have, like, parties. So you oh just, like, God. have a million different canoes coming out to his big boat. Rich people really experience a different type okay. of life than we do. Of life. This is a different life. This is... Yeah. It truly is. So um, this is all happening in, like, 2000, right? So flash forward a little bit to 2001. Uh, Serena mm-hmm. was living in New York at the time when 9-11 happened. So she, of oh, course, was, like, really having a hard time with the aftermath of it all. And yeah. she was lost in life, too, and didn't really find her calling. She was trying different jobs, real estate, a bunch of different things. Nothing really stuck. So Bison contacted her and told her to come out to stay with him for two weeks. And they had such a great time together that, like, the two-week trip turned into a five-week trip. And it was just, like, Aww. a really sweet time of, like, these two lovebirds reuniting uh, after he retired the NBA. And eventually she has to return back to New York. But Bison's like, bruh, I want you back. And she's like, dude, I have bills and responsibility. I can't. Like, I need to pay my bills. And do you know what this guy does? Because oh rich gosh. people live a different life than us. Oh he gosh. sends her a check for $50,000 with a note that says, this is what I think about your financial situation. Uh, I wanna, where do I find this guy? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Can someone feel that way about my financial situation? I'm literally speechless. Like, hello? I want somebody yeah, to give me in my notes. I have I have fainting gif. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 
sis does what any of us would do. She takes the check, she pays her Hell bills. Hell yeah, and she, she goes, does! <laughs> <laughs> and she goes to stay with him for good. So she's nice. like, I'm gonna come stay with you for good. And, uh, you know, she gets there in, I want to say, like, early 2002. Also in early 2002, Kevin, Bison's older brother, Kevin who pops now goes, back up. Kevin pops back up, which Kevin is wont to do when the money runs low. So Kevin pops back up. At this time, Kevin goes by Miles DeBoard. Okay. He calls himself Miles DeBoard after Miles Davis, um, his favorite musician. And then DeBoard is a last name uh, from his maternal lineage. So it's a surname from, like, his mom's side of the family. So he surprises them for a visit. He tracks them down somehow while they're in New Zealand and surprises them for a visit. They were not, you know, totally pleased with his surprise visit, but whatever. He wanted to sail with them, and he claimed that he wanted, that he tracked them down to repair his relationship with his brother because it had grown so tenuous, but, like, Bison and Serena just suspected that he was probably just wanted money. Yeah. Also, like, you're a cockwalk. (laughs) Also. (laughs) Like, what? But, like, I also feel like Bison and Serena just don't care. Yeah. They're just like, we're hot. We don't care. (laughs) <laughs> um but but like it, it kind of yeah like to me it's just like the idea that like he tracked his brother down which like kind of makes me feel sad for bison because it's like he, i feel like part of him escaped because he wanted to escape the responsibilities of like people yeah. doing that you know what i mean and then in comes his brother but he also just didn't have a relationship with his brother and i think both of them really did want to repair it because they were close at one yeah. point you know um so just like when they were younger, the brothers bickered a lot, though. They bickered a lot. And they bickered over small things like any siblings would do. Yeah. Um, but Serena just didn't like or trust Miles. She thought he was jealous of Bison. And she thought that he brought out the worst in him. She once told her friend, um, and her friend Stacy Steele said this is the first time she's ever heard Serena say this about a person. She called him, like, a bad person. And she was like, Serena's never said that about anybody. Wow. She's like, yeah. This, she's like, this is the first time I've ever heard her speak negatively about anyone in the 17 years that I've known her. So, Serena just did not like them. There was even a point where Serena, like, left because she couldn't deal with their bickering. And she, like, flew out, um, I think it was to New Zealand when they were stationed. I don't know. They were traveling all over the place. And, like, Mile, um, Kev, uh, sorry, Bison ended up leaving. And then Mile stayed on board. And then he met them later. And they were all supposed to, like, things would have cooled down by that point. But it was just, like, you know... There's a, a lot of turmoil, essentially. It was a lot of turmoil. Like, there was just drama that was brought on that was not there initially. Yeah. Um, and this went on for a few different months. So, on my, uh, May 29th, Miles set to sea alone, and he just went to go bring the boat back to them and meet them all together. And he finally got there after Miles and, and uh, sorry, Bison, I can't their names. Bison and Serena had spent, like, a month together just on the French Polynesia, just, like, hanging out with each other, which is, like, wow. was great for them. Because, like you said, Miles a little bit of a cock block showing up there. Uh, so, they got there a uh, couple time together. And then their plan was to then, from Tahiti... Which Whoa. is where they were. They're really they were really traveling. They were Tahiti at this point. Yeah. They're they traveling everywhere. They were going to go from Tahiti and sail to Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh. Um, and then once they got to Hawaii, Miles was going to meet his girlfriend, Thayao, and, like, the bison and, and Serena were going to do their thing. So that was the plan. So on July 6th of 2002, the Hakuna, Matata, the Hakuna Matata departed from Tahiti with four people on board. So it had bison, it had Serena... It had Miles, and it had their boat captain, Bertrand Saldo. Okay. 
Now, Captain Saldo felt uneasy about this trip because of how long of a voyage it was with all four of them, mm-hmm. and especially with the mothers bickering as much as they did. But he was being paid $4,000 a month, so he did it just because the money was good. Yeah. Um, and then satellite calls on the board uh, show that the boat did stop two days later on July 8, 2002, and that was the last day they had phone conversations with anyone. Kevin Porter, uh, Bison's friend and business manager, spoke with Serena for a few minutes. And when she went to go give the phone to Bison, it disconnected. And that same day, Serena left her mother a voicemail saying all is well. Yeah, so they were about to, like, depart. And here's the thing. They're in the middle of the ocean, right? But that was the last time that anyone had ever heard from any of them on July 8, 2002. Whoa. So, on July 11th, it was Serena's friend's son's birthday. And she didn't give them a call, which was strange to everybody. But, like, everybody just kind of chalked it up to the fact that they were at sea and it was going to be hard to reach them. Then the following day was July yeah. 12th, and it was Serena's mom's birthday, and still no word from Serena, which was really strange because the mom and daughter were, like, best friends, basically. Like, they were attached at the hip and did everything together. So it was really yeah, weird that Serena would... Yeah, you would call your mom. And, like, Serena and her mom had a really close relationship. Like, Bison and his mom did not, like, they were estranged for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So, like, Bison not contacting her mom, his mom for his birthday or for her birthday, like, that wouldn't be seen as a big deal. But for Serena, that was huge because they were, they were, they talked every week regardless. Yeah. Right? So that was seen as really weird. Um, and so, like, the family started to grow worried, but everyone was still like, dude, they're at sea. Reception is spotty. They might yeah. just not, you know, nobody knows. Where There's the a rational are. explanation for them not calling. Exactly. But then by late August, there was still no word for them. Wow. I remember. Yeah. So how and many days is that now? Like, So they left weeks? on July 6th. No. Two, no, like well two over. months. Yeah. Yeah, like two months-ish. So by late August, there was still no word for them, and... Bison and Miles didn't communicate much with family, but Serena did, like I said. So Serena's family was full-on panicked. And, like, for good reason. So they got the U.S. Coast Guard to send a distress bulletin to all ships within a 1,000-mile radius of Tahiti. Uh, Serena's stepdad put together a 24-page summary of events to try and get some, you know, information and research out. Like, he literally, like, yeah, like, the amount of work, time, and dedication that that would have taken. He attempted to contact the FBI and the White House to start an investigation as well. Um, But it was, like, difficult for any investigation to truly begin because they were in the water, right? Like, think about the Malaysian flight. Like, how long it took the whole world was looking for that plane and it took so long for anyone to find anything uh think about one boat and also captain saldo had not filed a voyage plan so there was no way to track exactly what route they were taking to get to honolulu because he never filed that so they could have been anywhere so they literally could have been anywhere yeah so the Coast Guards, like, did their best to try and call the ship and send messages, but, like, nothing was ever returned. But in the time in between then, there were some reported sightings. So on July 8th, a man what? and his girlfriend were spotted at the Pearl Resort, which was in Tahiti. And then on July 16th, in Tahiti as well, that same catamaran, or a catamaran that looks very similar, slightly damaged, had a different name and was spotted there. It was called the Ariabella, not the Hakuna Matata. What? And that was on July 16th. I know. We'll come back to all of this in a little bit. 
So anywho, Kevin Porter, uh, Bison's business partner and the last person to, to speak with anyone, he started to grow worried, of course, at this point, too. And with his growing suspicion, he decides to call Bison's bank because he's his business manager. He has all of that access, right? Yeah. To see if there was any unusual or suspicious activity. And he was told there was. What? And let me tell you, I have read conflicting reports about whether the bank called him or whether he called the bank. And I'm just going to say, I hope the bank called him. Because if they're suspicious anything on anyone's anything, you should be calling people to let them know. For sure. But anywho. Yeah. Um, Kevin was told, Kevin was told that Bison had written out a check for over $150,000. And the weird part about that is that Bison, the weird part about that, though, is Bison never wrote checks. It had been over four years since Bison had filed a check. He just never did it. He always played by credit card. So Kevin Porter, doing his proper due diligence, he decides to call the company the check was made out to. And he finds that it was some gold dealership in Phoenix, Arizona. And so he what? asks them what the check was for, and they tell uh-huh. him it's for gold coins. Which, like, what the are, are Who you the a hell? Yeah. Why are you buying gold coins? So, anyways, somebody is trying to buy nearly Who the hell? $153,000 of gold coins. Which just seems like a terrible investment to me. Like, why are you buying gold coins? Like, uh, like what? what and not something it? he would ever do. That's so strange for him. Yeah. So strange. So Kevin Porter, who in my notes I call him Officer Porter because Ra <sighs> is the only police officer on this case. He calls the number on the check, which has uh, a Florida phone number, which kind of makes sense because, like, Bison played in Orlando. So, like, it could have been, yeah. you know, his Orlando phone. And it goes straight to voicemail. And he hears, um, yo, this is B. Leave a message. B? But it's not B. B is what Bison and Brian went as, right? Because, like, Bison, Brian, B. It's not B. It's Miles. It's Miles' voice on the answering machine. What? Saying, yo, it's Wait. B. Leave me a <gasps> message. Shut up. Yeah, so Kevin Porter is like, what the f-? Like, he literally has your reaction. He's just like, What? And now, bro, so he's like confused by all of this. He, um, so on September 5th, 2002, September 5th, 2002, that's where we're at right now. Um, everyone's just like really confused, but Miles, but like Kevin Porter seems to like have put things together. He's like, this has to be Miles. It has to be Miles. Shout out to Kevin Porter. Kevin, Officer Porter, Sergeant Porter, Lieutenant Porter, Captain of the police chief board person, you know, um, Porter. He literally, yeah, he was on his game uh, in this. Like, honestly, Bison's friend, like, he has two friends that are just, like, amazing in the story throughout. Um, So, anywho, he's like, I got this. Like, he's like, okay, clearly it was Miles the one buying the coins. So, on September 5th, Miles, using Bison's passport, credit card, cell phone, everything, heads to Phoenix to pick up the gold coins. What the And Kevin hell? Porter knows that this is happening. Um, and so he, like, so, like, with the police and with everybody, they set up a sting to, like, catch Miles there because they know that he's going to be using a false, uh, you know, false signature, false check, whatever. Like, this is all, like, bad. And what so, like, the they hell? set up a sting to go catch him. Uh, are you following along? I'm so confused right now because who the... What kind of... <laughs> 
Wait, his brother. His it's Miles. His brother. Kevin Porter hears Miles' voice saying, yo, it's B. So he's like, B? Miles is pretending to be B. He took his phone. He's cashing out these shots. What is Miles. a snake. He's what been a providing he's for you. Dude. He's dude. been providing for you. Bro. Your entire life. I'm saying. I'm Anything. sorry you weren't the good-looking brother because you were an inch shorter. <laughs> I'm sorry you had asthma. It's not his fault yeah. you had asthma, buddy. That doesn't mean um, you can, like, capture him somewhere on a fucking boat. So, listen. So, Miles is going to the uh, the Phoenix gold coin shop to pick up these gold coins. But he doesn't realize that, like, Kevin Porter cracked the case and yeah. everybody's on to him. So, the Phoenix police plan to meet him there at the store and arrest him. Doc. Tell me why they sent 19 police officers to go and arrest him. Shut up. <laughs> it's one guy. You need, like, two. Like, why did they get to 19? Like, was 20 too much? Like, in my notes, I'm like, is 18 too little? But this is why we need to defund the police, because they all just want to join in on the fun all the time, when they really just need two guys. You literally only need Kevin Porter. You don't need anyone. Yeah, you else. don't need anyone. This is so stupid. They literally sent 19 police officers. Like, I feel like someone at the office was like, oh, no, I have to come do. <laughs> you guys can't leave me behind. Yo, I want to watch. I want to watch. Can I bring my donuts? <laughs> so, like, 19 police officers get there. Um, and they get there and they detain him for forgery for signing a fake check. And they bring him down to the station. So, in interrogation, they ask him, like, where's your brother? Where's Serena? Where's Captain Saldo? Like, what happened? And he says that, you know, he can't say, but that Bison sent him here to pick up the gold coins. Um, And so, he needs to, like, pick up the gold coins for Bison, but he can't say why. And that's why he has Bison's cards and passport and that he was going to take it back to Bison. And he's, like, remaining really vague on, like, who's that's after him. They're like, well, why? Like, who's after you? Like, is it pirates? Is it the mafia? Like, bruh, who's coming after you? And he's just like, gotta get my gold coins. Like, he's just being, like, really weird. Yeah. Um, But that's why he insists that he's impersonating his brother. And the police are like, okay. Shrug emoji. And so they don't charge him with anything. Because they're like, well, he told us this story and no one's here to tell us that it's not true. And so they let him go. No one's here because the dude is missing. Bro. What? You would need 19 people to go and arrest him, but not 19 of you guys could have used your brain and thought, hey, he forged a check. Let's just detain him on that until we have more information. And maybe we find the person that he's impersonating. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. If someone assumes my identity, don't trust them. Yeah. It's saying that they're doing this to help me figure out why the hell they're 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 assuming my identity. $150,000 for me, too, at the same time. To buy gold coins. And here's the thing about gold coins there was no cryptocurrency at this time. Gold coins kind of operates in that way. It's not like dollar bills where you can trace it. It's literally the only form of currency that can be accepted everywhere that doesn't really have, um, that can't be traced. Wow. So my whole thing is like, dude, he clearly forgery that you have him on. He lied to the police. He bought gold coins, which is very suspicious, very sus. And like, there was nothing that you guys can hold him on. And the FBI, like, later on was like, yeah, that was a fuck up. Like, duh, that was a the fuck FBI up. The FBI said what? that? Yeah. Which is like, dude, 19 officers, you guys could not figure this one out. That 19 of you guys could have come put your heads together and figure this shit out. Like, yeah. bro, I'm so upset. So also, Miles is if free. it was um, his brother, 
Like, wouldn't he have taken out more money if he was planning to run away forever? Like, I don't even if, know. If it was actually Bison, wouldn't he have had run with more money? Like, what's $150,000? What was $150,000 to anybody? Like, why was yeah. that even miles? When you're a millionaire, money. why are you only taking out that much money? Bro, who knows with anything that's To run away. Right God, the police is so freaking stupid. So, Miles is free. Bison, Serena, Captain Saldo have not been heard from. And even if we, like, believe Miles' story, which, like, we don't, that still means that they're in trouble in the middle of the ocean. You probably should have kept him to find out more answers instead of just letting him go. Yeah. You know? So stupid. So as soon as he's released, Miles books a flight to Arizona. Out of Arizona. Sorry, he's in Phoenix, right? He books a flight out of Arizona to his girlfriend in California. And Kevin Porter, who is literally the best friend ever, who is the only officer who should have been on this case, he is Lieutenant Porter from now on. That's what I'm going to refer to him as. I feel like Lieutenant is a high-ranking police officer. I don't know <laughs> police names. Um, he he follows Miles' asses to the airport. Wow. Because he's him. like, I know Miles is going to try to flee. So he literally follows Miles' asses to the airport. Um, and, dude, when he's there, he dead ass ch- chokes him in the airport. She chokes up. a two a six foot eight, two hundred and sixty pound man to be like, tell me what happened to them, tell me where they are. Yeah, like little the only person in the entire world that seems to give a shit. Yeah. So Miles tells Kevin, he's like, yo, just follow me to Mexico. I'm going to Mexico because Arizona has a death penalty. And Kevin Porter's like, bruh, what, what are you worried about the death penalty for? Like, can you please just answer my questions? He but of course, Miles. His brother. Miles doesn't answer anything, and that's the last time Kevin Porter ever sees Miles or speaks to Miles. Miles gets on the plane and goes to California. And, and as soon as he gets to, to California, he meets his girlfriend, and he asks his girlfriend to drive him to Mexico. Which, ladies, this is why you don't get a driver's license. And you could just say no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if my like boyfriend ever said, can you take me to Mexico, because I might have killed someone, I would have been like, Fuck no, sir. So, yeah. So, actually, he does kind of confess to her in the car. Uh, He tells his girlfriend, he says, on July 7th of 2002, he and his brother were arguing. Shut up. And they got into a fight, and Serena and the captain were trying to stop the fight. Wow. And that bison accidentally hit Serena. Bison. What? Bison hit Serena. And Serena fell down and hit her head, and that's how she died. I don't believe that at all. So then Captain Saldo was like, we need to call the authorities. And Bison was like, absolutely not, because I'm going to get in trouble. So he grabs a wrench and starts beating the captain over the head with a wrench. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that at all. And then Miles is like, bro, Bison is trying to kill everybody. I'm next. So he grabs a gun and shoots Bison. Okay. And that's what he tells his girlfriend happened. And that's why he's saying he needs to flee. Of course. To his girlfriend, his he looks like the innocent guy in this story. He's a, no, he's a liar. No, I don't think to any... She, he doesn't even look like the innocent guy to her because what does she do the next day? She goes and tells the FBI. Oh. Because nobody believes your story, Miles, because it just doesn't make any sense. What a good person. Shout out like, to Like, I girlfriend. literally have in my notes, like... Yeah, like, to your story, Miles, like, that is some hogwash. Like, that is some yeah. lies. I literally, in my notes, I called it hogwash, nonsense, rubbish, balderdash, gibberish, blarney, claptrap, guff, blather, blether, it's rock, lovely, tribe, drivel, gobbledygook, blige, which I just love words what in English. That? They're so stupid. What a stupid language. 
<laughs> just so dumb. Yeah. But hogwash, Miles, hogwash. Um, yeah. So the next day, Erica tells the cops. And so now the FBI gets involved because they're like, obviously, this is a murder investigation at this point because Miles said that these people are dead. Um, but Miles at this point has already fled to Mexico. So he is in Mexico. So Patrick, if you remember, Patrick is his best friend who he did all yeah. those crazy things with. He, um, he hears from Patricia that Miles called her and that Miles said, hey, mom, you know me. I could not survive prison on his way to Mexico. Wow. That's why I need to leave. So Patrick is like, shit is happening. So Patrick decides to fly to Arizona to join Kevin and the police gang to try and get Miles back from Mexico because clearly something is really wrong. So Patrick Byrne reaches out to Miles because uh, he has that phone number that, um, yo, B, it's leave a message, that phone yeah. number, he has that number. So he calls Miles and Miles answers and he's trying to bring him back to Mexico. And he's like, I can give you the $150,000 that you were looking for. Like, I just want to make sure that Bison and everybody is safe. Like, please. And so Miles is like, I'm not going to come back to America, but I'll meet you in Tijuana. So Patrick is like, bet. Mm-hmm. And he packs his bag to fly to Mexico. Like, these are such great friends. Um. And on his way there, he hears from the authorities that the Ariabella, that boat that I mentioned earlier, that was yeah. spotted back in mid-July, that it actually is the Hakuna Patata. And it had been Shh. repainted oh my God. and renamed and docked in Tahiti with no signs so of he... passengers. And the authorities believe they are dead because there was no sign wow. of them on there and because of Miles' story. So Patrick is like fuck, like a Miles little is bit a of piece hope. Of shit. Miles is a piece of so that little bit of hope that Patrick was holding on to. Yeah, that little bit so of hope sad. was completely dead. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Patricia, Miles and Bison's mom, she gets on the phone back with Miles. She's like been in communication with him, and she tells him, "Bro, Patrick, who you're trying to meet in Tijuana, he's actually working with the FBI. So don't actually meet up with him, because he's gonna try to bring you back to America." So she kind of I mean, foils the plan. I don't know. Which, like, her reasoning is that, like, no one knows what actually happened on the boat. So, like, she has no reason to not believe her son's story, which I get as a mother. But, like, also yeah. as a mother, your son was on there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But as Just. a mom, you only have one child left from what it looks like. So... Yeah, exactly. That's exactly her thinking. Yeah. Um. So she was worried about the well being of her son. She's like, she's like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't want you guys, I didn't want you guys to dupe him because I knew you guys wouldn't treat him like he was bison, if he was arrested. And I just, mm. he, we don't know who's innocent in the story. Is basically her thing. So all of this I happens do. over. Yeah. So all of this happens like. September 5th was, like, the day of the stake operation, so all of this is happening within the next 10 days or so, and then on September 15th at 2002, in 2002, same year, I don't know why I'm saying the date, um, at 11.30 a.m., Miles DeBoard, who's still in Mexico, he goes to a beach, and he apparently overdoses on insulin. Um, what? Yeah, Wait. trying to kill himself. So right wow. now, if you think about where he's at in the story, like all of this has happened. He now knows Patrick is working with the police to try and bring him back. Um, he knows his mom is really the only person who believes him. Like I guess he heard about Erica, his girlfriend at the time, uh, telling the police about his story. So he kind of knows that he's isolated. And this has been like mm-hmm. 10 days of him being on the run. He probably um, feels like the world is just like closing in on him slowly. Exactly. That's yeah. what I have in my notes. Like He probably just feels like the world is closing in on him. And so he overdoses on insulin. And he was brought to an American hospital to Chula Vista, California, which I imagine borders Mexico, um, by an anonymous man. Like, we don't actually know who brought him in. 
And the hospital staff had no idea who he was when he got there or that there was an open investigation where he was suspected to have murdered his brother and two other people. Like, there was no... They didn't know that. He was just non-responsive the entire time. And so they fingerprinted him, and that's when they discovered his identity. Wow. And then um, 11 days later, uh, charges were actually brought up against him while he was in a coma, but then the police eventually retracted those charges because there was obviously no sign that he was going to come back to life. Um, And so 11 days later, on September 26th, he was taken off of life support, and then he died a day later on September 27th. Holy... So, yeah. This is plot uh, twist after plot twist after plot twist. Yeah, and so, like, I have my notes. Like, it was a, a suspected suicide. Like, his, his death was wow. deemed um, undetermined just because there were so many different substances. Like, he had cocaine. He had different opioids. He had just, like, lots of things in his system. Yeah. But they believed it was the insulin. So it was, like, a suspected suicide of a man with, like, I think a guilty conscience who, like, knew the walls were closing in. And he just... You know, he told his mom on the phone, you know, that he was probably going to do this and he'd suffered mental health issues his entire life. And yeah. it's just like a really tragic ending and such a tragic story for the life of Bison, who like, to me, it's like, Bison just wanted to be free his whole family. He wanted to escape his life. He, he like changed his name to do it. You know what I mean? He changed it to Bison Daily for Brian wow. Williams. He moved halfway across the world to like shed this. And then his brother tracks him down and. It's his demise. And Kills like, him for what? $150,000? What the hell is that? Uh, he was probably going to... Uh, my thing is, I think he was going to assume his identity. Yeah. Uh, my whole thing is, like, I think that this is, like, a, a tale as old as time. Like, we, we heard it. Like, we're Muslim. I'm sure we heard the story of Cain and Abel. Like, you know, anybody has heard the story of Cain and Abel. Yeah. have heard it their whole life. Like, it's a story of brothers. Like, one mm. person kind of feels like he gets it all and, like, the jealousy of brothers. And I, I think that this is kind of what it was where it, to me, seems like seems like Miles was going to kill Bison and assume his identity and live his life as Bison Daly for the rest of it. Because so no one in Tahiti is going to know the difference between Bison and Miles, you know? My gosh. <sighs> so, that is so sad. It's such a My, sad like, story. And I have Bison to just wanted to be free. So after, yeah. here's, Bison just wanted to be, and here's here's his family, like here's his family in a nutshell, and not to like, shit on them or anything but i have to throw this in there um after finding out the news of his best friend's presumed death so when patrick had found out that he got the call from the police officer saying that aria bella was actually the hookah de batata um patrick called patricia um bison and miles's mom and he tells her what happened and after a long pause when she realizes shit that means bison is dead she goes you know patrick he never bought me anything (gasps) oh And Patrick was like, Patricia, I thought he paid for you to go to UCLA. And then he also bought you a $350,000 house. And she goes, Patrick, I've met other NBA moms who wear more than that on their wrist. That is... Which, like, just shit. And, like, Patricia denies ever saying that her son never bought her anything. And she said that, like, the comment... I believe Patrick. She admits the comment about NBA moms. She says that she will always regret that statement. That's, that's and then the saddest wow. thing of it all is because they died um in such close you know for the mom it's like so incredibly hard to lose two sons i'm sure yeah they had they ended up having joint funerals wow they had joint Wait, memorials they were a joint funeral together. for the guy who killed him yep i and, don't care if they're brothers for, yep 
And just for people who, um, you know, are unsure about the story, so there was an investigation done on the Ariabella, the Hakuna Matata boat, um, and by, uh, sorry, Miles' story was proved to be impossible because if, um, ba- if Bison actually did beat the captain with a wrench over the head, there would be blood spatter everywhere. Yeah, there'd there be some DNA there somewhere would be blood spatter. Because you imagine beating someone over the head with a wrench, there would be blood spatter everywhere. Short ceilings or on a boat. It's yeah. not like flying to like walls across. It's only going in one place. The ceiling's going to catch it. And there was no blood spatter. So that was impossible that that was what happened. And they what they assumed to be bullet holes initially to corroborate um, Miles' story about shooting bison actually turned out to just be um when miles's dumbass was trying to um board the boat and like trying to lock it up trying to dock the boat there was like scratches and shit because he didn't know what he was doing so that was actually what the bullet holes were so he probably never even shot bison on the boat and so there's some there's a lot of speculation about what happened some people probably drown believe I, i did read that he 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 did carry a gun he had a gun with him and that he might have um force them into the water at gunpoint is one theory that i heard another theory is that he possibly did shoot them bullet holes were left on the boat um because he did weigh their bodies down with weights and everyone Mm -hmm. and what i've read is like people being like why did he bring weights to a boat like he literally chased down a boat to meet up with his brother what is he bringing weights for that is insane it's not like it's not like his brother had weights on the boat he brought the weights so it's like, was this pre-planned? Did he really plan to oh, track 100%. his brother down to kill his brother and then assume his identity? Was that the plan the whole time? Or was it something that happened because of their bickering? and Or what? Like, I have no idea. What do you think? I mean, he's obviously... I don't know if he wants to assume his identity, but he really didn't think anything through. Like... I mean, at one point, I guess, if you're willing to do that, you think you're... Um, you think Invincible? the law... Yeah, and you think the law can't catch up to you? Yeah, for sure. Um, but what makes you think that you're you can step back into the U.S. and have a famous brother who's missing, and somebody's not going to question you about it? I don't think he planned on living in the U.S. I think part of it was I don't think either brother really planned. I think that's why he wanted the gold coins. I think he was just like, I'm yeah, empty out money. I'm not going to make it obvious and take but out. But even I think stepping that's why he in, he probably took out 150. But even stepping into the yeah, country, that's true. That's true. Like, that's true. How do you even step in to come get the money? Like, that's true. How, oh my god! And to the someone who's like giving you money your entire life, dude. He he always felt jealous of his brother, and and there are stories of like there are sweet stories of like when he was okay, not sweet at all, because he was arrested by the police, and he like was bragging about like my brother bought me my Lincoln Navigator. My brother's an NBA player, and he would sometimes brag about it. And so, like, there were moments where he did feel pride, and I think that they had a complicated relationship. Like, I don't think anyone is, I don't think anything in life is as clear-cut as, like, good and bad, evil, like, you know? But, like, it was very clear that Miles was dealing with something really dark. And I do think jealousy, and he always felt like he was, he was the brother who didn't have anything, and his brother had it all. Yeah. Clear-cut, Kate and Abel, just jealousy over brothers, I think, but. Yeah, I think you can, of course, like, be proud of someone and still be jealous of them. I think uh, a lot yeah. of people have probably experienced that before, just not to the extent that Miles obviously Bison took didn't it want to. any of it. He just wanted to be free. He just wanted freedom. That's so yeah. sad. And he used he used that wanting to be free against him because had Bison been living in America playing for the Detroit Pistons, I don't know that his brother could have killed him and assumed his identity. Yeah. 
That's so sad. It was only because no one knew where his brother was going to be. No one really talked to his brother more than once a month that he thought that he could probably get away yeah. with it. And he just so assumed that's his first brother story. wasn't going to go think? back. What did you think, dude? Oh my god, that was a roller coaster. There was just like plot twist after plot twist after freaking plot twist. <laughs> what a story to start off with, though. Like, no clear answers. Like, at the end of the day, yes, you're you're pretty sure what happened, but you're not 100% sure. Yeah. It, like, makes me scared of my sisters a little bit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm Just kidding. don't become an NBA player. Be yeah. Fun. I mean, I don't have enough money for anyone to be jealous of me, so. <laughs> but that was crazy. That was yeah. a good story, though. You're a good storyteller. I thought, like, I was rushing, like, the plot of it because I spent too much time about his NBA stuff, but I really wanted to share about his life more than just, like, the I think that's so all, important, you know? though, to humanize yeah, someone to who experienced a, a tragedy. Yeah, and I wish I, like, knew a little bit more about Serena, but so much is out there about bison. Wow. Men are really so stupid. <laughs>